0: Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to read uh, three verses tonight, 4, 5, and 6, Hebrews 13 verse 4, marriage is honorable in all, in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may, be, may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Our fathers, we enter into your word tonight. It's always a precious thing. We do thank you for answered prayers. Thank you, Lord, that you have uh, helped Sandy through a very difficult time and you've raised her up and we're so thankful for that and Lord others that we've mentioned even tonight many we could have mentioned I know Gary he's hurting with his arm and just the list goes on and Lord I pray that tonight's message will be a, a source of help and uh, Lord we are thankful for this a very familiar promise that you will never leave us or forsake us and help us Lord to take comfort in your word tonight Bless this time. Use it for your glory, In Jesus' precious name. I pray. Amen. Well, verse number four. Uh, I don't know. Has anybody ever heard a message on Hebrews thirteen and verse number four? Never have you. Well, welcome to the first time. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those things where you just don't talk about this stuff from the pulpit. You know, you just don't talk about you know t- intimacy. Well, guess what? God's word does. And so we're going to take just a couple of minutes. I'm going to spend most of my time on the next two verses. Um, but here's, as I do some counseling, and this is being recorded, so people will actually out there in cyberspace be listening to this message. So hopefully they'll be able to do several of the points that I want to talk to us about. Um, as he tells us here, the first thing is that marriage is an honorable thing. And God has created uh, with Adam and Eve as the example, these two to come together for matrimony. Sadly, as we know, the world has changed the definition of family, and they have included Adam and Steve. You follow me? And they have men with men, women with women, matrimony, and it makes our heads spin, and I understand that. Uh, as I have sadly said with so many subjects that I've talked about, that has even crept into the church that the rights and wrongs of the home are now gray areas. And um, with, with the loss of the mainline denominations, they are no longer taking a stand on the issue and ordaining um, uh, those who are into sodomy and uh, those who don't understand the gay rights. And so... Um, this this was going on. God has created something very special, and man takes it and makes it ugly, and that's what this is talking about in this whole text. Um, matter of fact, um, uh, the first church uh, the, the church I got saved at, Lori got saved at. You know, people that literally I was in a choir singing beside, just one girl. You know, she really tried to encourage me when I first became a Christian and such and really talked with me a lot, you know, and nothing inappropriate, just was encouraging. And then years down the road, she uh, went to her husband, whose name is Scott, uh, a friend of mine through the church there, and she said, you know what, I'm going to be leaving you because I found a girl and we're going to go get married. And I'm telling you, this man is a handsome man. A godly man, and it broke his heart. I mean, and then the brother, uh, quote unquote, came out of the closet, too. And it's, it's something how God made something the most beautiful and pure thing. And the world and the devil has to always make it ugly. And that's what's sad. And that's why he says, listen, marriage is an honorable thing. And then what happens behind closed doors? The intimacy part, the bed, is undefiled. It's a pure thing. There have been some uh, in Christianity, I don't know if I've read any books, but I've heard guys say their philosophy on intimacy was only for creation. You know what I mean by that. In other words, the only time you have intimacy is if you're planning on having a child. That's not in the Bible. Matter of fact, humanly speaking... If everybody planned on having kids to have kids, we wouldn't have half the people on this earth. You following me? A whole lot are here because of the words, whoops. <laughs> and I'm not talking about negative. I'm not talking about pre-marital. you know, marital, I'm talking about in the marriage thing. Uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, some folks we know, they have a lot of children, and then all these years went apart, and then I think it was like eight years later, Eight years later, they, they had a child, and it's just like, wow, uh, it's Nathan.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, aren't we glad for those? And uh, it's God's apartment. So uh, the intimacy part, and I realize many, uh, we see a lot of gray hairs and so forth, But I want to still address a couple things. Uh, Those who take notes, 1 Corinthians 7 is your premier text on intimacy in the home. And what he describes there, and I'm going to really fly through this quickly, is this. That God says that when a husband and wife, and I'll emphasize husband and wife, get married, that he and his body is not his own anymore. His body becomes his wife. And also, the wife's body becomes the husband's and it's not hers anymore, and that's why the two are called one. So it's together. It's a unit. And what happens is people walk an aisle, and they say, I do, and everybody claps, and they're so glad they got married. Ultimately, the culmination of the marriage is not done in this place. It is done on honeymoon night. And that's why that honeymoon night, God wants that to be their first time together. God wants them to be virgins Going into the matrimony. By the way, these are the things our kids are being taught. To keep themselves for that one person someday. Because when you don't, the latter part of this is where everything gets mixed up in their brains. The adulteries and so forth. And so God has made something that's a very beautiful thing between a husband and a wife. And what happens behind closed doors happens behind closed doors and nobody is to know about it. Uh, one of the most embarrassing things I ever had to go through was my premarital counseling to Lori. And I learned from that guy how not to do it. It was the most embarrassing time I've ever had. Hard enough, I just got saved. And now I'm in front of this guy, and he's talking to me, details about what's going on behind closed doors. I'm, I'm sweating. I'm, I'm red. I'm like, why are you telling me this? Like, uh, what, you know? And I realized, listen, it's like really natural. You know what I'm saying? This is not that hard to figure out. And I was so embarrassed. So what I do in the, the whole thing is this. They'll figure all the intimacy out on their own. But what they need to know is this, that what happens behind closed doors stays there. So much is going on with uh, exposing, revealing of what happened honeymoon night and what happens between each other in the home with siblings, brothers, sisters, daughter, tell them mom and so forth. Listen, I tell the kids, hey, you're going to come home and people are going to look at you and say, how was it? did you have a great honeymoon? And then they're going to say, give me all the details. And you look at them and you say, that's for us to know and you to never find out. You don't need to know what she wore. You don't need to know any details at all. That's why we call it intimacy. It's a beautiful thing. And God has created that. And what man does though, is he takes something that is pure and something that even it's hard for us to even talk about in church because, oh, that's the secret thing. And I understand how secretive it is, but still it needs to be taught on not only that it is a pure thing, it's a good thing, it is a right thing, but we have to be careful that we don't allow it to become something that is bad. And that's the last part, is how Satan is able to take what God has created, which is a beautiful, pure thing, and then he does is makes it something that is dirty. The whoremongers, the adulterers, and those who would take what God has made and, and uh, use it in inappropriate ways. Um, Titus 1, he says, "...to the pure all things are pure." But those that are defiled is nothing pure. It talks about how their conscience also has an evil uh, ability. It's just like they're making something that's good, and, and they're making it bad. And folks, that's that's not what we're supposed to do. Now there's one thing also in the positive that I want to make sure I share, and that is this, that sometimes, and I don't know why it is, that people actually have to come to me to get themselves opening up to each other about intimacy. And I have no problem counseling, and I will help people as, as however I need to help them. But let me say this to, to us, and those who may be listening to this message. If there is one thing that I beg you to talk with each other about, it is this subject of intimacy. If you don't talk to your spouse about it, what the needs are, Things like that. If you don't know, um, needs aren't being met. And what happens is, is sometimes through the process is, is, well, we used to have that part of our lives, and we just kind of have grown apart. Well, who did that? Did you talk about this, that nobody's interested anymore? Well, it just happened. Are you sure? you sure it was supposed to shut down, or did you shut it down? You follow me? Is your spouse taken care of? Because if you're here for them and they have needs and you say, but I don't, you are not fulfilling your spouse and vice versa. If you have needs and your spouse is not aware of that, shame on you. If you can't open up and talk to your spouse about intimacy, if you can't talk to them about it. Who are you going to talk to uh, someone about, uh, about it? And, and can they help? The answer is No. So you go and you talk about it. Verse number five. Oh, by the way, you know those who do it impurely, God says, God's going to take care of the judgment there. Those on the streets, those who are selling their bodies, those who are jumping from bed to bed, the, the garbage that we hear and know is going in the factory, um, God's going to take care of that. So, that's let's, let's us look at the next verse let your conversation another way of explaining that would be your lifestyle how you, who you are be without covetousness so coveting coveting is taking something that your mind is totally consumed with that it comes to a place where that becomes your god matter of fact one place tells us that coveting which is idolatry so God actually ties together coveting with idolatry, and He says, let you and I, the believers, let our life and what we do, don't allow the coveting to be involved with what we are doing, but instead, the opposite of coveting is be content. Be content. I'm not in the business world, um, I'm a preacher, but I do talk to a lot of people about the businesses that they are involved with. And um, I'm old enough to remember, especially in the small town that we were raised, how important it was for the Ma and Paul Kettle type of hardware stores and little grocery stores in the community, and everybody knew each other by name, and they hired the kids from high school, and they had probably hired the moms and the kids, you know. And it's just they all knew each other. And then, and then, all of a sudden, some things changed in America. Big changes. Uh, and I'm not you know, blasting larger companies coming in and so forth. But I, I know this: that I sat down with a lot of these type of people I mean, Harry's fruit market. You say you never heard of it? No, it's it's not in existence anymore. It was a little place that all of us went to. We got our candy. We got our pop. We had you know we had the place memorized where we would get everything. But eventually, it shut down. And uh, and it was neat because they never they never added on. It was the same old place that you would go in and get your case. Remember the old cases of pop bottles, like an eight-ouncer. My brother brother and I were allowed to split one of those at night, along with the popcorn. You know, that's all the pop we were allowed to have. Mama understood sugar. And Mama understood caffeine. And, you know, so you have all these memories, and it was almost like you went in, you went back in time, it was just like, we're not here in a marketing. They never had commercials, they didn't need them. They didn't need to have huge flyers or anything. They existed because that's where, and now its marketing now how much we made this year if it was a 30% increase of sales and revenue it must increase at least that amount next year and you're stopping and thinking and when's the end when will sales be enough when you can buy three or four islands you know what what is it that we're looking for the america is almost like Enough is not enough. There's no contentment anymore. Are the bills paid? Yes, but that's not enough. I, I understand. So we want to be able to make some money so you can invest it back in the company and give people raises, and that's a good thing. But it's almost like to the, to the detriment of, of many companies and in entering into the mindset that we can never be happy with what we have done. There's always more that's out there that if we don't get that then we can't be happy. By the way, it's entered into churches. Churches have become businesses instead of churches. Now we are here to try to make sure that that's not happening. So what even some missions that I know that we have actually been involved with have actually got outsiders in that do not know the people do not know the business, but they have come in to the churches and missions to critique them, to find out what they could be doing to create more revenue, to be able to create more people, more everything, so they will come in and advise changing of musics and changing of this and that. Many of these are by advisory boards that are coming in and telling them what to do to change things. One I know of for sure that I was so upset with is a particular missionary friend of mine and Lori's. She is just a sweetie. Just served the Lord for, oh my word, 25 years, something like that. at the same exact place. The agency that they hired to come in to critique looked at her and said, you are a horrible missionary. You do not know what you're doing. You are not creating any revenue and what she did was she was going into Indians in Canada and having Bible studies and reaching them with the gospel of Christ. But because they couldn't see a bottom line, they said, and by the way, she, she had to leave. Basically, they forced her and many others out. Absolutely divided. Can we as a church be content? When Carl came here as your, as your pastor 13 years ago, on a Sunday morning, I uh, have a, I don't know, 180, 175, maybe 200 people, maybe, maybe not that many, less than that, okay. And so we were thinking, we want to build, we want to reach people, okay. Were, were the numbers that have increased, are they based on business, are they based on, can we not be content with what we have done as a ministry? And I'm going to get inside your brains here a little bit. Because as, as a church, we can sometimes become discontent with where we are at. That there's always something out there we're trying to strive and to reach, and we're never content with what we have. What's wrong with it? Anything? Anything? Can we change? Could contentment lead us to boredom? Could contentment lead us to apathy? Well, the place is pretty full. Why reach anybody else? Hardly have any room for them. That's not right either, is it? And this whole thing with contentment is something we have to really zero in on, even as a church, to stop and say... But if this is what God has provided and given, does Christ not build the church? Does Carl build Northside? And if you say yes, shame on you. Do the deacons stand? out? these guys that are knocking doors and so forth. The people that are inviting. It, its It's God. I will build my church. And what happens at this local church is because of the work of God, the work of the Spirit of God, what God is doing and moving in our community, in our people here. And listen, Carl's messages aren't going to change whether there's 10 people or 500 people.
1: It doesn't change
0: anything. We have to stop and say, this is what we're here for. The movement in churches is, well, let's do this, and that will bring them in. And then once you've achieved that, achieved that um, uh, way or method of reaching them, okay, what's the next level then? Well, we have to think now, what are we going to do in, to entertain or bring in the next group and keep that form of excitement? And then that's done, what are we going to do the next time? And before long, you have ten years of spiraling The ups and downs. Folks, I have to be honest with you. I am so thrilled with what we do at Northside. Our means of worship. I love the piano. I love the organ. Thank God for those who share with us by way of music. I love choir. Many churches are dumping choirs. I have no idea why, but they sound really good. And they're causing us to worship. And it's not because that's you know the way we've always done it it's because I see like choirs in the Bible and I think it's like a really good thing and these things can we find a contentment in that form of worship because what I am sensing not here but sometimes out there is it's never enough thrill me more next week and if you don't thrill me more next week I will find the next church that will Thrill me a little more the next week. And there's never a contentment. We have to be careful. We have to be careful in our own lives and applying those kind of things to all of what we do. Because God has said something. He, Jesus Christ, He will never leave you and He will never ever forsake you. Listen to this list of places that that same phrase or its form is given. It is found in First Kings eight fifty seven, Genesis twenty eight fifteen, Deuteronomy thirty one six, Joshua one five, First Chronicles twenty eight twenty. Over and over again, that same form, and you can see each time within the text. Uh, the one with um, uh, King Solomon. It was a time. Uh, of the temple and being built and, and his, it's actually after he's done praying he stands up and actually starts to pray for the people and he says Lord bring that presence and the knowledge of your presence and the contentment that can come from you Lord and it was actually a prayer for, for from Solomon for the people and, and over and over again Joshua you remember that text you know he's saying be strong be of courage I'm never going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you, Joshua. You're taking over a man's job that none of us would have wanted to take. Anybody here would want to follow up Moses' job? You follow me? That's like a really big job to take over. And this guy is taking it. And the trepidation that was inside of his life was sensed by God. And God kept coming to him and saying, Don't be fearful. Stop being afraid. Go. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. And folks, that is in our good times as well as our bad times. Why is it sometimes in the good, we neglect our prayer and our word, the time of the Word and for, for, forget our God? And then when we're down, it seems like that's when we really start saying, God, it's me, it's me in need, and we begin to call on Him. But what we have to stop and realize that the truth is, whether it is a good time, and whether it is as many of you are going through, is... is a one of the greatest trials that you're going through in your lives, that his presence is there. It is hard for me to fully understand how, as he describes it in 2 Corinthians 12, that my grace is sufficient for you, that my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's grace in you, given to you, in the time when you were weak, gives you then a strength that comes from God because of that grace. So the not leaving and not forsaking you is coupled with the strength that God gives you. I had once we in our church years ago who lost her husband in a wreck. And she looked at me in tears there, and she goes, I'm, I'm looking for that grace. And I'm looking for that strength. And it's easy sometimes for us to say, oh, God's going to give it to you. You'll be all right. But it's not you and I that are now uh, sleeping by ourselves in bed and eating by ourselves in the morning and drinking that cup of coffee by ourselves. And there's nobody there. And I'm not the one that went through it. And it's those lonely times when nobody really understands exactly how you're feeling and what you're going through. And that's when we stop and remember this verse that God's presence is there. Do we have to understand it and notice it? I believe we do. Because I think he's trying to say, don't forget this. Because we may question, Lord, where is your presence? Where is that grace? Where is that strength? I need it now. It's there. And sometimes it's not, as we learn from the Old Testament, not the thunder and the lightning. It's not the great fires. It's, it's that still, small voice that we need when we need it. As I need it, and I know you do at times. All of us do. He says, verse 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Isn't that neat? With confidence, you and I are supposed to say, I know my God is there as my helper. Many of us, because of the negatives, have the capability of bragging on our God. And I talked about it a little bit this morning, about sometimes the world would look at that, even religious groups would look at us and say, how can you have that kind of confidence? How can you have that kind of boldness, knowing these type of things? Because God... He told us in His Word, and He's not going to lie about these things. And when He says, I'm not going to leave you, over and over and over again, and He says, these things, I can with boldness and confidence, just like He says in the same thought of boldness, and you remember it back in Hebrews chapter 4, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. So it's a confidence that we can have in our prayer, and now it's a confidence to say, my God has not left me, and He is my Helper. And therefore, as a result of that, I will not fear. Now notice this, what man shall do unto me. So knowing God's presence, he's never going to leave us, and he's never going to uh, forsake us, that he is our helper takes away the fears of what is going on in the circumstances that we are in. And it creates a security as a result of that. Most of us remember those times when our parents... When we got hurt, we were afraid, would come to our aid, put their arms around us, and use those words, it's okay, I'm here. And that's what God's trying to say here to us tonight. It's okay, because I'm here. You remember how when mom and dad were there, it just made everything better? And it was a, it was, it was a security. And that's what God is trying to say here, to give us that kind of a, of a comfort and a security when we need it. Uh, I don't know if I can do this with any kind of, uh, of a blessing to you. There's a song I was listening to the other day, and I had forgotten about it. Uh, George Johns was doing it at the end of one of his concerts.
1: And, uh, and it's really neat words. It talks about, When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world, excuse me, when the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, Thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, stand by me. When my life becomes a burden, and I'm nearing chilly Jordan, Oh, thou lily of the valley, stand by me. Some of you know that song?
0: Um, those old songs that bring a comfort and we've got storms and we're not getting any younger. None of us. And when we come to that place when we are feeble and we can't do and boy those are humbling days aren't they? It's amazing how our minds in our minds we're still 25 years old and our bodies are you know, minds are doing flip-flops and our bodies are like, are you kidding me? And it is those times that we stopped and remember the storms are coming. But it was Christ that was the one who showed how He rolled over the winds and the waters. And with a few words, He said, peace, peace be still. And when we are getting older and we become a burden and others have to help us, And minister to us. And I love that phrase of the song. I'm nearing chilly Jordan. And he says. Oh thou lily of the valley. Stand by me. Our doctors. As precious as they are. And how much they want to help us. Are limited. The medications are limited. But our God. Is the God of all strength. He is all powerful. And it is that God. That looks at you and I. And say. And says to us, don't fear. Don't be afraid. I will be there. Right by your side. And even when man may fail you, he will not. Now Lord, I don't know how many may have needed a little encouragement tonight. Because of the troubles and the trials that they have been going through. But Lord, you do know and understand And we thank You, Lord, that You stand by us. That You will not leave us and You will not forsake us. As You promised to Joshua, You promised to Israel, You promised over and over again. May we have a true blessing inside of our hearts. Lord, teach us contentment. Help Help us, Lord, to never, ever have that attitude of coveting. But help us, Lord, to Take that which you have given us. And as he tells us in Philippians, I have found whatever state I am in to be therewith content. Help us. May the Lord bless this invitation time. Speak to our hearts in the quietness of this moment. And we will thank you. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. As she begins to play, Maybe the Lord's just working in your heart, the quietness of the moment, just talk to the Savior. And also, if you're here, my friend, and you still have not called on the Lord to be your Savior, come. And we will be glad to take the time from God's Word and show you how to be saved before you leave as she plays. Daniel Vaughn, can I get you to close us in a word of prayer, Daniel? Thank you so much.